Like that, Adam. What a douche. gentlemen and welcome to the film find the greatest movie podcast ever assuming you've never listened to a movie podcast before i'm your host adam portress and yes it's only been a few days but we're back with yet another show we're finally back on schedule and i am joined yet again by matt smith hey everybody we're back i can't even believe we did it i i can i, I can. believed in us <laughs> i believe in me yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, we don't have a huge show today, but, uh, you know, we wanted to get back on track. Uh, Man, next, we, we saw a lot, uh, just not all the same thing. <laughs> it's just not all the same thing, not all the same time. We have a ton of stuff to talk about for sure. Yes. Uh, so we'll definitely be doing that. But, of course, the big, uh, the big new release review of this week that we'll both be talking about is going to be Spy, starring Melissa McCarthy, uh, mm-hmm. directed by Paul Feig. Uh, I didn't look at any of the box office numbers, but I would go ahead and assume this was at number one. Yeah, I think it made like uh, 29 or $30 million. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on my browser to hop over to IMDb, but... Uh... Yeah, I think I think I remember reading it was going to hit right around thirty million. Yeah, so that's that's not a big surprise, but uh, so we'll talk about that movie if it deserves the box office that it got, or if it was just a piddling disaster. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know. If, well, even yeah. if it got number one and it was and it was like you know somatically okay. disaster financially, it was a de- definite uh, win. Yeah, it uh, so it just loaded. Yeah, twenty nine point one is what it landed on. Okay, um, so that's not bad. Oh wow! Insidious did not do too horribly either. It clocked in at, in third place with uh, twenty two point seven. And that's interesting. I mean, now, well, Insidious was was that PG thirteen? Um, yeah. Okay. Well, see, I mean, and there's your. I mean, I'll I'll tell you this much: that's some smart counter programming for what one would consider to be the mainstream thing with uh, with a you know a Melissa McCarthy comedy and everything. Mm-hmm. But really, the counter programming was Insidious, and that was going to reach out for the younger kids that couldn't go see the R rated film. We'll talk about that and uh, all that kind of jazz. Yeah, it did well. Uh, uh, San Andreas beat it though. Well, came in second. It's it's, it's 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 tough to beat a juggernaut like that. I mean, let's be anyway. honest. Uh, so yeah, we're gonna. That's, uh, that's been the boring box office minute. You've uh, you've now been entertained. 
or some such. I don't know. So, uh, yeah, let's. I, I know that uh, it hasn't been a long time since the last show, but we've got stuff that we've been watching. So let's get into that. Matt, what, what do you got on uh, par for us here, sir? Well, I got a couple of things. Uh, first, I did go see Insidious Chapter 3, and I got to tell you, uh, I still really like this series. Uh, hmm. um, uh, it's kind of... Uh, it, okay, so for those of you out there who are familiar with uh, the Insidious films thus far, uh, there were two that kind of uh, centered around the same family, mm-hmm. right? And and, and uh, the second one, a lot of people didn't like it. They felt like it got a little too kooky and went a little too far out there uh, for their tastes. Was it creepy and kooky, mysterious and... No, wait, that's yes. Adam's family. It was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the third one kind of tones down its uh, its flavors of the month a little bit um, and goes back to a little bit of a, a smaller form uh, haunted house movie. Okay. Uh, it still plays around a little bit with some of the mythology of, of the previous two films, right? So one thing I really like about this series is how within the spirit realm, the further, right, uh, they kind of play around with uh, kind of a kind of a back to the future approach to. I mean, you've seen the first two, right? I, I saw the first one and I was bored with tears. One. Yeah. Okay, so so the second one uh, pulls a back to the future too, in that like it goes into some of the things you've already seen in the first one, but from a different perspective because mm-hmm. you're traveling around in this other dimension with with someone. Where right? it's the kind of the bluey sort of look. Yes. Um, and so here, uh, they play around with some of how that works, uh, as well. Um, bringing back the kind of the, the veiled bride character ghost, uh, from the films, uh, prior to this one. Um, but it's a prequel. Uh, it takes place before any of that stuff in the other two movies happens. And, uh, this time it really just focuses, uh, largely on, um, the character of Elise, the psychic, uh, played, uh, fantastically, uh, in all the films by Lynn Shay. Um, she, she's just a great character actress in and of herself. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, so it, it's part origin story in some way, because it's like her coming back to this line of work that she's abandoned after her, uh, husband committed suicide because, uh, using her power started to get too scary. Uh, she was like searching for her husband and all this other stuff and found out that there were some not so nice things that were, wanting to get her from that uh, spirit realm. Uh, Happens to me all the time. So this is kind of her coming back into like, no, I have to do this to help people. It's uh, we see her first team up with the uh, ghost uh, hunter guys that are in the first two films uh, played by Lee one L who wrote and directed this film as well as co-wrote all the other stuff that James Wan uh, did before uh, conjuring can can we can we now you can tell me if I'm wrong because I I, sure. I I can't think of the guy's filmography off the top of my head but is there has there been anyone else that's ridden his more talented friends coattails for longer Lee one L yeah uh, I mean I don't think he's I don't think he's ta- I don't, I'm not I'm, it sounds like no, I'm shitting no, on the guy he, more than I am he's been an actor for a while um so he's he's done a lot of acting and uh I mean he was always just kind of creative partners with uh with James yeah, yeah, I always think he wanted to be more of the actor than the director kind of but, writer. But that's where he came from. Like he started out uh, as an actor before they even did the first Saw short. He was uh, he was an actor, and um, you know, he well, was I got a, a lot of those friends, and they don't count. 
<laughs> but he, you know, but he was in, I mean, he, he's appeared in James Wan stuff as well as in a bunch of other things, uh, as well. Um, like I said, I'm not too f- awful familiar with this filmography. That's the only reason I really say that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know that James Wan would have been as successful if things weren't co-written by one L because I'll tell you this about, hmm. uh, about this film. Uh, it is the tightest script of any of them in the films. Uh, okay. Any of the films in this series. I mean, J- James Wan had no input in the in the script at all. So he's off just making millions of dollars. Well, I mean, you know, Wan signed on to do some big movie lately. Uh, DC Aquaman, I think. Like you know, little tiny flicks like that. Uh, but you know, uh, Wan L here. It's his first time out as director. Um, and and he does just fine. I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. It's uh, it's nothing big, but as a piece of uh, counter programming for the summer, it is kind of genius uh, in the way that it works on a very small scale compared to the things that are going on in San Andreas and as we'll talk about in Spy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just found it a like a pretty enjoyable haunted house flick. You got uh, a budget on that bad boy? What's that? As you got a budget on that thing? Uh, on Insidious Chapter yeah. Three. Uh, let me hop over to box office mojo, but I will say, so if you, if you like the other films, uh, then, you know, hop on out and see Insidious chapter three. If not, uh, who knows? Don't, there's plenty don't of other, bother, there's plenty of other stuff where you out there. Um, like me, I was like, I, I, like I said, I fell asleep during the first film and I couldn't give a shit. So I never bothered. But, uh, so, uh, it doesn't appear that any site has a production budget on this thing. So it's probably dirt ass low. Well, I mean, you know, your big stars are Lynn Shea and Dermot Mulroney. I mean, yeah, so you're... you're uh, not, and, and I mean, you know, they're both very good. But they're not, you're not breaking the bank for these but two they're actors. Not, yeah, no. they're not, uh, you know, $10 million actors. You don't have Bruce anything. Willis up in this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> right. Who who wants, um, who wants like $8 million for 45 seconds worth of screen time in a, an Expendables movie? Yeah. I mean, worldwide, this movie, uh, according to Box Office Mojo this weekend, made uh, almost $37 million. I'd say that is probably it breaking even or making money at that point. Yeah, you're, you're probably not too far off. I would not I would not say that this film, like, it, it, I can't imagine this film costing more than $30 million to make. Probably not. That, that, I mean, that I mean, would, it's, yeah. a, it's a regular mid-range, mid-budget studio flick but yeah know? yeah i mean i look at it and i'm just like yeah maybe 20 to 30 somewhere in that range because it doesn't it's not it's not blumhouse cheap but you know well he is the producer though. is he producer oh that's yeah, right he is that, this was that was his big that was one of his first really big hits was that one actually yeah it was uh the paranormal activity films and then this one in uh 2010 the first insidious that's right that's right well this it's one of the more expensive ones in his genre then because <laughs> you, you can tell by looking at it i mean it's, it costs more than most of his films do yeah yeah, yeah of course but uh, i i am I, looking forward to uh what's it the gift uh, a little later from him this year uh, I don't know. I, I'm just you know, interested. I, I don't know. A, I just see, I watched that, I watched that trailer and that's that movie that's written by, written and directed by Joel Edgerton, right? Yeah. Uh, I look at that trailer and I've seen it a lot as I'm sure you have. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you go to the movies as much as we do, you've seen it a billion times. I mean, it's been on every trailer pack, I think, except for the, uh, like PG stuff. That Damn near. Yeah. You know, um, I look at it and I just keep having flashbacks whenever he does that snap thing. Uh, Simon says, boom, Simon mm-hmm. says, boom. And I just like, 
Like, I just keep remembering my Exodus review where I just was obsessing about how large his fucking hands were. And I can't, <laughs> I can't stop. Like, every time he snaps, I'm like, Jesus Christ, those are some meat, meat mittens, man. Uh, Maybe that's why I relate to that guy. <laughs> I got really giant ass hands, too. Anyway, so. Little uh, sausages. So so that's my that's my take on Insidious Chapter Three. I want to talk talk about one more film okay. uh, that also came out this week. Uh, I'm not. I just saw it like uh, three hours ago. I got out of this film, um, and I don't exactly know how I feel about it. But I want to give you guys some thoughts uh, about it. I some, have some some thoughts. hot takes, as it were. <laughs> uh, uh, so I went to go see the film The Nightmare. Uh, have you heard about this, Adam? Or just what I told you, probably? I can't. Not to, not to my recollection. Okay. This is the new film from uh, documentary filmmaker Rodney Asher, who everyone will remember, uh, not the name, but his previous film was Room 237. Yeah, a ton, ton of people, especially for folks that I'm sure listen to this podcast, have probably seen. Yeah. So um, this is a new documentary from, from that guy. Um, do we at least see people's heads on screen at some point? That's that's the first thing I need to know. Yes. Okay. Uh, It is, it is a little more traditional in its structure. (laughs) Um, but I will tell you, uh, so the, the subject of this documentary is, uh, sleep paralysis. Now describe that exactly because now, because I like, I think I know what it is, but I'm not sure. Yeah. So it is, uh, I mean the documentary kind of goes into it, but it, so before I talk about that, uh, I will say stylistically, the film is very like I can tell that it's made by the same document, like the same documentarian, because it's got some of the same tricks, right? Where it's about sleep paralysis, but what it's really about is like the eight people that he has interviewed talking about sleep paralysis, okay? Right? Uh, so whereas Room Two Thirty Seven is about The Shining, it's really about like the six people he interviewed to talk. Yeah, these about the these Shining. interesting people who's and and their perspectives and takes on this particular movie. While it's a documentary that's about that, it's almost so much more even about these characters and their takes on said film than said film. Right, exactly. So uh, what this is, is eight people talking about, uh, and then like some really kind of creepy reenactments of their experiences with sleep paralysis, which is uh, basically um, they go to bed and they have what I might describe as uh, waking nightmares. Okay. Where like they feel like they're awake, they think they're awake, and they may actually be awake, but uh, their body is immobilized because the the physiological processes of waking the body up from being in, so when you go to sleep your body uh, increases uh, melatonin mm-hmm. which which causes your muscles and all to relax and effectively you're paralyzed right this is what stops you from like rolling off of the bed uncontrollably and all that kind of stuff all the time right all the time um, you it, know it keep, sometimes it, it happens you safe <laughs> yeah it keeps you safe while you're asleep right that's the, the process of it um, but they they feel like or are actually awake during this period, um, and they very frequently people who suffer from sleep paralysis, and this is well documented. You can go and like read countless uh, kinds of things. They describe nightmares that they have of like demons visiting them, uh, weird trippy visions the feeling like they're having an out-of-body experience, 
Hmm. Um, all kinds of stuff. So, so, so apparently Dan Aykroyd in Ghostbusters, where he his pants, uh, well, something like that. Well, except this is like maybe that's uh, where I go I mean, with my. It's, it's pretty creepy, right? Because what hap- what we find out is like everybody's experiences in this documentary are slightly different, but it's it's kind of an exploration of kind of the overlaps of this nightmare that they all have. What right? bits are the same and what bits where, are different? Well, yeah. So, right, like most of them describe shadow people in the room with them, telling them that they're there to kill them. Right. Um, And it's it doesn't go full on global, although it explains some of the different global variations on this um, where. But this is a universal thing where people who have sleep paralysis widely report these experiences. There's one guy who describes it in the exact same way that people describe alien abductions. Mm -hmm. And and so, like, he thinks, of course, that when people are describing alien abductions, it's whatever is happening to people who have sleep paralysis. Um, And so it's kind of this, uh, like I said, it's this this pseudo-documentary about sleep paralysis, but it's really a documentary about these eight people describing what it is that they experience, you seeing reenactments of that experience, um, and then like a little bit of explanation of the history of this thing and, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's pretty solid. I won't say that I loved it and I didn't find it. Uh, I mean, there are some absurd quotes in the, in the trailer and on the poster where, uh, people call it like, uh, like on the, on the poster, one of the quotes is, uh, one of the scariest documentaries ever. Right. Um, truth is more frightening than fiction is another pull quote. Uh, it's not, uh, super, super scary. Um, what was the, what was the documentary? It's pretty good. It was a documentary or something that I saw where it was just, I, I don't, I remember what it was, but it basically showed how like they would like some of these people bring these guys to like press screenings and shit. And like, there's basically like a table that's full of pull quotes and basically you can almost come in and pick yours out. Well, I will I will say this too though. The <laughs> the film is well reviewed. Um okay. so it's not like people are just pulling quotes out of the ass. I mean, maybe they maybe they are. It's fucking pull quotes, right? It doesn't matter. Um but I personally just did not find it super scary. Of course, I you know, I'm not a guy who watches primarily documentaries, so if people are watching this within the context of watching documentaries all the time, then who the fuck knows? But I think uh, this too is that I think a lot of times also, and and we've 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 talked about you know kind of the the rise of documentaries and stuff like that, and I think also at the same time, uh-huh. I think there's a lot of people that think they're into documentaries way more than they are, and it's like they maybe have seen like you know a dozen or so on Netflix, and uh, and almost consider themselves to be you know documentary experts in a way too. I think that's also become a weird thing. Whereas I think a oh, lot yeah. of people have really, you know, well, I mean, and, like, they, I know, and people I think that they're fucking smart. One for of my good it. friends from school is a documentary uh, studies person. That's and like, they're, like I watch a fair amount of documentaries. I would never describe myself as a documentary person. I it enjoy is them. It's not the thing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
so anyway, this movie I think is worth checking out, particularly if you were okay or even a fan of the style of what Room 237 was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go in and like really want something that's hardcore and creepy, it's not going to be that for you. How long does um, it and does it feel longer than it than the runtime would suggest? Because that Room 237 did that to me, and not in a terrible way either. Uh, no, this one doesn't feel too long at all, although there are long stretches where you're um, kind of just not, like, they. I don't feel like it handles all of the people's stories equally and tends to focus on some of the more eccentric ones uh, that are not necessarily the most interesting variations of the story. Hmm. Does that make sense? Well, I mean, you know, it depends on access and what somebody, you know, puts on the plate for you to serve. Well, I mean, I, guess. I think I, th- I think that's true, but there are definitely, you can tell, like, one guy he goes back to repeatedly who, like, he clearly wanted to get more from him because part of the interview is just a Skype interview oh, wow. that they had done after, clearly the, after the initial stuff, uh, just because of the way he was talking about things. Um, so I, some of this some of this feels like uh, the guy went back to certain people he found particularly interesting, but I'm not sure that uh, their stories are the most fruitful uh, for, for everybody. Um, but you know, like room two, room two thirty seven was all, was pushing two hours. I think it was like one forty five or something like that. Sounds about right. Um, this one is a clean 90 minutes and uh, it, it feels just fine. It doesn't okay. feel too shaggy. Uh, yeah, I, and it, it's rough around the edges, but it's also because it's trying to reconcile eight different versions of a similar nightmare that people have. Right. Hmm. So, so, uh, but it's interesting because also it, it does this weird thing, uh, where it draws attention to the reenactments by like, they're not doing this stuff with a bunch of CG when they have like shadow people on the screen. It's like people dressed in fucking black suits, right? Like complete blackout shadow suits in a room with actors who are portraying the people that you're seeing. And are they more handsome than the people that they're portraying? Cause that's always the case. Uh, no, they're, it's fairly accurate. Wow. Yeah. Well, and so, some of them are like them telling stories about when they were kids and some of them are, you know, things that were recent, but they're not the same people there. It's always an actor in the reenactment. So it's very right. clearly delineated. Um, well, it's like, if you see anything on like the ID channel or anything like that, where it's just like, well, I was going down to the basement and the oh, person no. is talking to you well, looks like job of the hut. But when they go down there, they look like, you know, uh, you know, Claudia Schiffer or some such no, shit. None of that stuff at all. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but in any case, there's like a couple of times where like they've constructed, all of the bedrooms for these people on the same soundstage. And, and so you like literally will watch one shadow person into that section of the story, the person that was telling it. And then like the camera will swoop over the set, like bird's eye view style while you see the person playing the shadow person walk out of that room and into another room where he gets a cloak put on him <laughs> and then walks into the next bedroom as the person starts talking. So Brian De Palma directed pieces. So you're it's, saying? <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting like movie to watch in that regard, but I'm not sure what it's doing yet. Cause I, I like I said, I just saw it three hours ago. Okay. Um, 
but I enjoyed it. It's it's worth checking out. Uh, I will also uh, put a plug in for something that did actually uh, scare the shit out of me when I was a little kid or a younger kid. Uh, so there is a Channel 4 documentary from the UK uh, that you can find easily on YouTube called uh, The Entity, which is about the same thing. Uh, but that, it's like like a British made-for-TV documentary, and that scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> Uh, it's fucking good. Hmm. Um, I don't know. It was, it's just a really good documentary, short one TV style. Uh, and, and I think they work off of each other really well because this one is much more about the experience. This one is, uh, the, the channel four doc is, is much more about, uh, much more about like the, the history of this thing, right? Sleep paralysis. Hmm. Uh, so I think complementary to one another is how you should look at it. Uh, and so that's what I've been watching. What about you, brother? Well, uh, so, I mean, I had uh, I had toyed around with the idea of uh, going to see the Entourage movie this week, just, just on account of... Oh, yeah, we didn't really talk about that, although we announced it at the end of the show. Yeah, and I got, I, I tried, well, well, here's the thing. So I went to see Spy. And then I was just like, my next thought was, and like, so we have Movie Pass. We're, we're Movie Pass guys. Uh-huh. And that's how we can watch all these fucking movies and only spend 30 bucks a month on them. Uh, so I paid for Spy because it's the first show of the day, so it's going to be cheaper. And my intent was, is then to, right after that, just go and see Entourage, uh, the movie, Entourage the movie, uh, after that. And uh, I just couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't do it. I try. I was just like, there was something in me. that was just like, I can spend my Saturday a little bit better than this. And, and I did. And I did. I, I think I, you know, put up posters in my house. So that's about, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a better spent time, I think. And I want to yeah, talk. Here, here's a question uh-huh. uh, that the a hypothesis I have uh, as a not fan of Entourage. I was, was and I don't want listen before you do that. I just want to say I'm not a huge fan of Entourage myself. So don't put me, don't dispersions. Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying anything. Some people saying, thought might, may, might have gone like, oh yeah, he must be a big Entourage fan. All I've I'm seen saying it. is, uh, do you think it was worth spending money to not watch Entourage in this formulation of just what happened? I haven't seen it yet, so I might. And trust me, I it's, I still may <laughs> go see it. <laughs> well, you report back and tell me how much I'll hate it. I well, I'm not. I'm off Wednesday, so I may do that. Wednesday is just fucking something to do. Uh, so I might, I might do that. But then again, because there's, I've seen most, most of the other shit that's out in town right now. So I, I may slip that in there. Uh, but so I'm going to talk about um, the anti entourage. Uh, so I just finished actually before we started recording here uh, last week's episode of a Silicon Valley, which is a, a fantastic show. And I saw some article, I don't know who the fuck wrote it, because it got passed around a billion fucking times. And I never read the article, I read the uh, read the title, and I was just like, it's accurate enough, I don't really need to read the article, because I know exactly what it's going to say. And it's basically how Silicon Valley is the anti-entourage. And for those of you who've never seen the show Entourage, it's about these guys who have, you know, kind of struck this, uh, this goal, this uh, lucky, you know, strike in life, where they have an actor friend, and everybody's riding on the way to the top, and it's smooth sailing all the time, Even even when mm-hmm. something goes wrong by the end of the episode, guess what? Old uh, Vince and the gang have really gotten it back again, and everything's A-OK. Everything's coming up roses every fucking episode. Which, you know, at, at some point, 
is is a, is a comforting thing in the show, which is a weird thing. I know there's a lot of people that you know like shit on like sitcoms and other shows like that that have this kind of thing of like there's a there's a false sense of something going to happen and then everything's okay in the end. There's also a weird comfort in that kind of shit too. Uh, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but I mean, I don't. I was not like a super huge fan of the show. A buddy of mine like let me borrow a lot of the DVDs and stuff, and I just kind of. I mean, they're very short episodes, especially. Uh, you know, you can just bang them all out there on uh, DVD real quick. So, I, I mean, I've seen the m- good majority of the Entourage series. But Silicon Valley is a show that's a lot like that. you got a group of guys and everything, and they're, you know, trying to come up in the world and everything. But unlike Entourage, everything bad happens to these guys. Every single episode. And just the second that you think you're about to have that Entourage-style moment where everything becomes good, the world, the the skies, the, the clouds part <laughs> in the sky, and the sun is about to rain down and have a lovely day, oh no, you fucked up again, son. <laughs> and everything turns bad again. So, I mean, to me, that's more realistic of life. And uh, if you follow tech and the and the technology world and sector and anything like that, which I do, is just kind of a fun hobby thing. I've always kind of been a fan of that shit. Uh, there's so much in here that is just dead on accurate as to how these people are and, you know, the types of people that you'll meet. I know developers and coders and shit like that. I know these people, and there's a, there's a lot of truths that are in this show. And uh, Mike Judge just does it hilariously. There's one more show in the season and everything, but um, just bang on. Bang on this show. And every I, – I know – it's it's weird, and I guess in a sense, just like Entourage, I know where it's going in a bad direction because you're just like, well, this can't end good, <laughs> <laughs> and it doesn't. But it almost doesn't in the way you think sometimes. And uh, it's it's a smart, funny show, and we we don't have enough of those on television, quite frankly. Um, so one more one more episode of that, and then we're at the uh, the end. But it, it actually they picked up a third season just based upon the uh, the ratings of, of the first episode of season two. So uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that show's popular. It does really well. Uh, I I think leading into Veep is a nice touch for it because uh, Veep does extremely well because it's ratings, coming out because so. it comes out of Game of Thrones into mm-hmm. that and then into Veep. I mean, that's a that's a good lineup, man. Yeah, I mean, Veep was doing well seasons before that show started this is only its second season so veep was doing well for a while um and then on like four or three sandwiched i think being sandwiched in between two extremely popular shows really helped uh silicon valley catch on yeah not 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 a not a bad thing but uh, a lot of a lot of very funny people I'm not, I'm not saying it's success now was based i'm saying like last season a lot of people watched it because it was in between those shows yeah well, and I and I think you know, and and I'm sure he he might take some credit for it, but I mean, you know, these the, the, these guys have been you know staples on like all kinds of podcasts and stuff from Nerdist stuff to mm-hmm. you know everything else in between, and of course stand up comedians in their own rights mm-hmm. um, that have put out great stuff, and it just yeah. I, what, another thing that I like about the show is like you know these are not your kind of stereotypical you know actor sort of people. Uh, these are mostly guys who come from a stand-up world. There's a, a couple of actors in there, but uh, a lot of them come from stand-up and stuff. And but v- putting these very kind of non-traditional guys in these roles and really seeing them shine, and uh, it's pretty awesome to see shit like that happen and to happen to people that I, I particularly think are, are very funny people, you know, in in their you know comedy. So, mm. uh, so the only other like uh, big thing, well, I mean, I've I watched a, 
some South Park. I don't know why Hulu, like, Hulu. There's some weird thing about Hulu Plus when when they're putting on things like South Park, where you can just put on just any random episode to just kind of fill some time in your day. You're like, I need to kill 25 minutes. Yeah, let's pop that on. Uh, but I've done that, and uh, I cannot wait for Seinfeld to come out. That's going to just rip my days apart. Uh, <laughs> but the only other thing that I guess that I've seen of real note, I mean, we talk about, uh, I, I rewatched 300 for uh, Hero Movie Podcast. We're going to be talking about that next week. This week we talk about uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I was uh, not a huge fan of. Uh, and I, I, can, I, be, I bet you could guess where I fall on 300, too. Uh, but <laughs> HeroMoviePodcast.com. Uh, so check that. <laughs> Plugging away, son. Plugging away. Uh, but the only other big thing, I, I made it out to the theater to see um, uh, Love and Mercy, I believe is the name of it. Uh-huh. Uh, it's the new Brian movie Wilson's about the Brian, Brian Wilson, uh, partially played as uh, young Brian Wilson is played by Paul Dano. Older Brian Wilson is played by uh, John Cusack. Uh, and uh, uh, Elizabeth Banks is in this. Paul Giamatti is in this. Um I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. Um, so I'm not like, I, I won't say I'm a huge Beach Boys fan. I'm obviously, you know, I, I like, uh, you know, Stones and Beatles a bit more. It's a little bit more in my flavor. But I certainly appreciate a lot of the uh, Beach Boys stuff for sure. I mean, it's just like fantastic poppy music and stuff. Uh, but especially what they, you know, tried to do in the later years, you know, kind of pet sounds and all that jazz. And so it goes through a little bit of that, uh, you know, that career. That's the Paul Dano era and, and all that stuff. And then you get over to the later parts of his life where, you know, supposedly, you know, Brian's losing his mind and he's got a, you know, caretaker played by Paul Giamatti who's really kind of running his life and everything. He meets Elizabeth Banks, who is, uh, you know, selling uh, Cadillacs and everything, kind of falls in love with her and the uh, the relationship between the two of them trying to work. Uh, and it goes back and forth between old stuff and new stuff. It's edited fantastically well. Uh, they give you just enough time in one section before they jump to the other, and it kind of, uh, you're never like wanting uh, for either of those places to come. But when they do, you know, hit the screen, you're just like, oh, sweet. So we're at this point of the story now. And it's done masterfully so. Uh, so Brian Wilson is, uh, you know, is a very particular uh, uh, character. And he's he had a lot of you know what most people would diagnose as mental problems and and they talk they get a little bit into that in this movie about how you know he's kind of schizophrenic and things like that which you know you find out later where you know he was kind of falsely diagnosed with some stuff but you know you do enough drugs and things happen sometimes but uh, he was definitely he's definitely an interesting character and but to see how that's really portrayed in this movie and stuff especially kind of towards the end. Uh, I really like it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit out there not everybody's gonna dig that I kind of felt that there was a little bit of an older crowd when I went to see this mm -hmm. and uh, I could I could get the vibe I could get the feeling that you know when they're kind of doing some sort of weird stuff with sound and editing and whatnot that maybe the audience wasn't catching on maybe they weren't digging it as much as I was but I, I, I dug it a lot actually um but uh, Cusack has a great performance. Elizabeth Banks is fantastic in it, and and Paul Dano is amazing as always. I mean, I mean that I tell you that that kid is just gonna he's gonna have several Oscars one day. I feel, and of course, Paul Giamatti is Paul Giamatti, who, which, which is always great. So like this is just like just a you know a murderer's row of great actors in, in a movie that's about an interesting time and stuff. And like if you know. You just know about the Beach Boys from, you know, the early surfers type stuff and everything and, you know, don't really have a background as to, you know, what happened after that and the uh, relationship that um, 
that Brian Wilson had with his father and everything. There's a lot of really cool stuff. You, they mine a lot of uh, of of his life in the, this kind of era, uh, era within this time, and so I think that's fairly impressive. But uh, I went out of it, and it's so many, and it's all licensed, tons of licensed music in it, which is kind of astounding these days with the way things go. And uh, but I think it's got it's got. Uh, as is my understanding, it does have Brian Wilson's kind of blessing for this. It doesn't sugarcoat him in in a lot of ways. Maybe it's maybe it could have been a little bit more. Um, maybe it could judge him a little bit more, but you don't feel like you know they soft pedaled anything. Doesn't feel like they just like left things on the table and were just like, well, it wasn't really this. They kind of make him out to be a jerk in some spots and a little bit disturbed in others. But it tends to fall a little bit more towards kind of, especially with within Cusack stuff, a little mentally ill, as opposed to you know maybe he was a bit of a jerk too. Uh, and there's a lot of musicians out there that trust me were you know were jerks. Yeah, and and, and some of them can afford to be you know at the same time too. It's just like you know. A lot of genius does come with, you know, an extra dose of madness in there as well. Uh, but, yeah, if you have any passing interest in the Beach Boys and want to see uh, some great performances from great actors, uh, definitely take a uh, look at that. So, Right on. Very awesome there. I'll probably be checking it out later this week. I just couldn't make it. Yeah, there's, a there's you know. So I'll let you guys know that it sucked next week. and uh, <laughs> Yeah, he'll, he'll come on. He'll tell you what the real scoop is, and then you're going to be like, that Adam, what a douche. We all had our suspicions, but thanks, Matt, for really cementing that home about that movie was shit. Uh, yeah, spe- Matt, why don't you tell us about how great this shitty horror flick is? <laughs> yeah, this is this from the guy who's just like, I love the Insidious movies. Fuck you. Well, I mean, I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, there are, couple, there are a couple other misguided souls out there. It's okay. Uh, the first one did immensely well, sir. It did. I, I and and I, I need to go back and watch it. Honestly, I mean, I thought about watching it before the, the third one came out. I just did not have enough time with all the shit that I was doing. Uh, but I know I didn't watch the first one in the best of circumstances. So I might, <laughs> I might try it again. But I was just like, I was just <laughs> during that first one, I was just like, when is anything gonna happen? It's so boring. It <laughs> so, gets there. It happens. Yeah. I was just like, okay, they're in this. They're in this state of thing there's smoke i get it can we move on to something that's interesting all right speaking of moving on to something that's interesting here is the uh, trailer for our new release review of this week it is spy directed by paul Fitch. to another successful mission i couldn't do what i do without you in my earpiece head down the tunnel you got three coming in can you imagine me as a spy with a gun what these look delicious this is very chewy. You're eating a hand towel. Just uh, cleansing my palate. <laughs> when I joined the CIA, I thought I was going to be this amazing spy. I'm just the same boring person I was before. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Give up on your dream, Susan. <sighs> just to write that in my lunchbox. Reina Boyanov is about to sell a tactical nuclear weapon to a terrorist organization. I told you to send me in there. You can't. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected. I'll do it. Okay, thanks, lunch lady. You're going. Okay. Yeah, bring one of your cats as a sidekick. I don't have cats. Go see Patrick. He's got special equipment for you. It's like the future. You're a spy. I know. You'll be given a new identity. Cat lady. Just missing a shirt that says I've never felt the touch of a man. Joe Bella, hey, come 
It's a confidence builder. You really think you're ready for the field? Leave the action to me. to make direct contact with any of the targets. You are incredibly out of your league. I'm saving you! I'm a real spy. I once drove a car off a freeway on top of a train while I was on fire. Not the car. I was on fire. Kind of starting to freak me out. Poor little pathetic Susan. My father used to bring people here. Did he also make you dress like a slutty dolphin trainer? Did I forget to knock? Who are you? You want me to have Cagney and Lacey explain it to you? Cagney's gonna come up your ass like a thunderbolt and chew off both of your Swedish meatballs. You gonna cry? I'm not gonna cry. You're crying now! I'm not! All right, everybody, that was the trailer for Spy, our new release review of this week. Uh, it is written and directed by Paul Feig. Here is the IMDb plotline. As we know, IMDb always 100% correct in everything they say and or do. A desk-bound CIA analyst volunteers to undergo a uh, under, go undercover rather to infiltrate the world of deadly arms dealer and prevent a diabolical global disaster. Starring Melissa McCarthy, Rose Byrne, Jude Law, Jason Statham, uh, Miranda Hart. I'm trying to think. There's a couple others that I've uh, great cast. Um, a so, very large cast. Yeah, I mean, of, of a couple of Paul Feig regulars and everything, but mm-hmm. uh, good stuff. Uh, so I got to say, I was going into this movie. Um, I don't want to say I was. Uh, I wasn't super hype about it, but I wasn't, you know, going like, oh god, here comes another one of these movies. Um, I was, I, you know, the trailers look decent, but I was like, this could easily fall off into the absolutely terrible category. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I was, I was thoroughly surprised by this movie. It is a rated R film, as we kind of t- uh, alluded to earlier and everything. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm ever so glad that it is. Yeah. Well, you know, here's, here's, uh, I don't, I was not surprised by this movie being good. Uh, I've been a big fan of... Hold on, what the fuck have you just done to your... Something happened. Am I here? You're here, but you barely, all of a sudden, you, like, disappeared. Hold on. I don't know. He fell drunk on the floor, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to tell you what really happened. (laughs) Do you hear me? Do you hear me now? That's a little better. Okay. Uh, here's the thing. Um, I, uh, I was not as surprised as you were. Uh, because I had quite liked the other two films that, uh, maybe surprises, maybe, uh, maybe that's a strong word, but I wasn't well, like, like, yeah, this is what I want to, it wasn't at the top of my list. Well, I was looking forward to it because I like Paul Feig, uh, bridesmaids. I love, I thought the heat was pretty fucking funny. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and on top of that, it's Paul Feig has really made the only movies that I think use Melissa McCarthy effectively because a lot of the other times that like when she's an identity thief, when she's in, uh, that movie, she made Tammy, right. Mm -hmm. Um, people, I think try to put her in kind of safer, uh, PG 13 kind of roles. Right. And, uh, I don't think she works there. Right. I mean, she's on Mike and Molly, but I think Mike and Molly is fucking terrible. Uh, as a TV show, so so it's not like I'm, you know, but just film wise, uh, I mean, I didn't even think I think was R, but it didn't feel like it. Um, 
I, I think Tammy was PG-13. In any case, they felt PG-13, and that's the problem. Right. Paul Feig has a thing with her where he just allows her to say, like, ridiculously filthy shit uh, off of the top of her head, and, mm-hmm. and it works and is absolutely fucking hilarious. He, le- he, he doesn't make her a necessarily likable character either all of the time. Um, right? She gets a little nasty and antagonistic. Yeah, in, that's what's uh, great about this it. character. You're right, because yeah. she's 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 very sweet and innocent in a lot of ways, yeah. but this lady's got a fucking dark side too, man. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> and and some of it is like just flat-out hilarious. Some, like, some of the shit that comes out of her mouth, I'm like, holy fuck, where, where is this coming from, right? And it, and. It's not the script, right? Like this is Melissa McCarthy like riffing on shit. All the scenes where she's uh, like yelling at Rose Byrne and that Swedish guy and all that shit, like it is just her off the fucking chain, yeah. let loose. And I and I there's something that I think's hilarious about that. Uh, you know, she's got an improv background. Paul Feig lets her use that because he also comes out of that world a little bit. Um, I don't know. I also think this movie works as a spy thriller. Uh, it's not like a great spy thriller, but it works very competently as one. I the action say, stuff's handled pretty well. It's not stupid at all. For for yeah. a lot of these films that are just that are of this kind of nature and everything, this comedy spy thing. As mm-hmm. far as like from like if you if you take away the comedy, you've got a really shitty spy film. If you took away the spy stuff, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that this is amazing, but it's very passable. Yeah, I mean, for what they're trying to do, I mean, there's actual, you know, some stakes and stuff involved. There are plans, there are thoughts, and like, and this is something that, and and like, and it has like, this sounds so silly, but especially like at the beginning and everything, there's a lot not in the not the opening Jude Law scene, but like kind of right after that, uh, there's a lot of very kind of technical talk. A very mm-hmm. a lot of you know spy FBI you know CIA training talk and all that kind of jazz, and it lends a really weird air of credibility to this thing that you 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 know that most of these movies don't really have. It doesn't right. feel like half the time it doesn't feel like they're taking shit seriously. This just seems like at least as, as much as Paul Feig was writing it wanted to you know present it as a serious kind of uh, you know sort of spy thriller that has a lot of comedy in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, as far-fetched as the idea is, you know, it's like one of those things like, I could see that working. And they even kind of talk about a little bit of how it's bullshit, but they have also a great little out here of how, you know, hey, you know, yes, she trained for all the, you know, CIA-type stuff and everything, trained to be an operative, but because she was such a crazed, loose cannon, they were just like, well, we need to maybe secure you to a desk because sometimes you go fucking insane. And then that leads also to, you know, at the end, it's not just some desk jockey who's become Superman. She, you know, you've seen that she knows how to take care of her herself yeah so i mean it's written really well all the chess pieces are put in the right place in order to execute the game plan and it works that way Mm -hmm. well and and everybody gets their moment to be really funny as well i think Mm -hmm. Uh, which also works toward all that kind of chess piece analogy a little bit right like jason statham is pretty goddamn funny in this yeah he's playing he's playing in (laughs) a sense jason statham and the roles yeah. that Jason Statham has played, you know, these past fifteen years. <laughs> yeah, but but in a in a very funny way. 
Right. And, and, and one that is not funny because he's like winking at the audience about it. Right. No, he's, he's a hundred. Um, it's like, he's a hundred percent serious. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's, what's really great. Uh, I think about some of the, some of the side performances, if there was one joke that I didn't care much for, uh, because I like, First time it's okay, funny, and then it just keeps coming back. It's toward the end of the film. Fifty Cent keeps appearing. Yeah, I, I just, and I'm just like, I what's it's not that's not as funny as I think this movie thinks that is. Yeah, I, I because it, they repeatedly bring it back. It, yeah, it it tries so hard for that, and it's just like, did you guys get a special date rate on Fifty Cent or something? <laughs> what happened? Did, did he pay you guys part of the budget? To They're just like, movie? look, we've got, he's got a free day. We've paid for the whole day for 50 cents. Did, why did not he throw, actually rent you his helicopter? Why to, not, you know, slap a little blue screen on that background there? We've got a whole uh, day with 50. Let's roll, let's roll it out as best we can. <laughs> but, uh, but Rose Byrne's really funny. She's hilarious, um, and she plays a great straight person who also has, you know, a lot of decently funny things herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... And, uh, I, you know, everybody's good in this. I don't know. I don't know what to talk about, really. It's, I mean, Jude it's Law's tough. funny. Jude Law is just charming as all shit in this thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just come through and, like, and you watch at the beginning and everything, and it plays out like, you know, a spy thriller. And she's the gal that's on the desk talking him through his earpiece and everything, going, hey, there's a, you know, person down this uh, corridor right over here, uh, three approaching on your right or whatnot. Right. And uh, it totally works. He looks the part. He's just charming as all shit. And uh, and you almost go, I'd, I'd watch a movie with just Jude Law as a fucking spy. I totally would watch that. And and I'll say this, uh, you know, the movie leaves itself open for a sequel. And I would I would love to see one, to be quite frank with you. Yeah, I'd watch that. Uh, I also want to highlight, um, I was looking up her name, I couldn't remember, but uh, of course it's the same as the fucking show that I know her from. <laughs> uh, so the person in uh, in Spy who plays uh, kind of her office buddy, mm-hmm. um, uh, the real person's name is Miranda Hart, who has a show uh, on the BBC or was on the BBC, it's not anymore, I don't think, called Miranda, that's pretty good. Okay. Um, anyway... Uh, or it might still be on. It's kind of one of those shows that, you know, it's British. It goes away and comes back and goes away and comes back. <laughs> it's there for a season. It's gone for three years, and then it comes back for a couple specials. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, I've seen some of that, and it's really funny. And here, I think she's great in this movie. Uh, she's kind of this very, like, tall, awkward uh, person, which is also kind of the character she plays in her show. Mm-hmm. Um but I, but I think her playing off of Melissa McCarthy is a very successful kind of back and forth relationship uh, that I just wanted to highlight because uh, she's unknown here, right? I yeah, mean, I, mean, a- she, she, I think she's been in a few things, but I like, right? I've seen stuff and I know who she is, and I can't tell you what she's been in. So that's what I'm talking about, right? She's kind of unknown here, but she's fantastic in this thing. That really tall British lady, you know. Well, she she's in some stuff like uh, called the Midwife. Uh, She she plays one of the women on that show, which would probably be the most familiar to audiences here in the states. I think uh, outside of people who have seen Spy, definitely. I think. Um, Anyway, just wanted to give a shout out. Miranda Hart's funny in this. Yeah, it, it 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 works a lot, and uh, this this is another movie that uh, that covers a lot of ground in in the fairly. I mean, well, I mean, it's a full two hour movie if if memory serves. Oh yeah, it's 
Yeah, straight up, so full two hours. You do, but it never, it doesn't really feel like it ever really drags too awful in any particular place. You're always kind of on the move. You're always booking. Everything that's going on has to deal with the story. So, you know, I mean, I, I know two hour long comedies can be tedious sometimes and you just feel like, okay, let's just finish this up. But no, I mean, it, it works pretty well. And um, mm-hmm. I, I got to say, I, I don't want to say I was thoroughly, I don't want to say I was surprised by it, but I thoroughly did enjoy it for sure. A little more than I had, I I'd imagined that I would like it. I liked it more than I thought I would have. Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty, I mean, I laughed the whole movie, which is rare and like more and more rare these days. Especially some of the... Uh, quote unquote comedies we've seen lately yeah um, <laughs> but but i mean this this movie is pretty pretty damn terrific okay hold on my brain just went to a, a place okay oh, okay check this out okay let me get your, me get your idea now right. granted it's tough to do it's tough to do and maintain the same thing on, on account of ratings and everything but Paul Blart Mall Cop 3 with Melissa McCarthy. We make it at least PG-13, maybe no, push it's an R. has got to be R. I know, I'd rather push an R, but you know how, I mean, they're a PG now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think even pushing to PG-13 may be a push for that. But at least a hard PG-13, if not an R. She's like the new kid on the block. He's intimidated by her. I don't know. It might, you got two fat people going at it. I, I don't know. That's just a thought that just came to mind. Let's take one of the worst movies that we've seen this well, year and one of the better movies that we've seen this year and smash them together. Here's what I think that won't work. Uh, because... <sighs> Kevin James would bring her down. Well, not only that, but Kevin James, at, like his screen comedy always relies on the fat joke. I'm the fat guy. Melissa McCarthy does not rely on that. No. And and in fact, like there are a few times in Spy that annoyed me slightly where like she has to rebut something that somebody else said or like make a make a statement about why she's viable to do this sort of work or why is it crazy that I would be attracted to Jude Law. Right. Um, That I like I don't I feel like now she's at like she is at a level where that kind of constantly having to explain that shit Mm -hmm. is beyond anything she should be asked to do. I don't know. I mean, because I don't think that those moments necessarily work for comedy and as dramatic tension. I don't think that being the crux of that, of any of those relationships is necessary. I just think like, like it's, it's a throwaway thing that I think has to get done only because uh, fucking morons would walk in and be like, "Oh, she's she's fat. She could never date Jude Law." Blah, 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 blah. But also, who gives a flying? Well, here's fuck? well, I'll tell you this. I know one of the things that was now granted it it had to do a little bit with size, but I I loved how they kept berating everything that she would wear. Yeah, but, <laughs> and, uh, but I like yeah. that. But I like that too because it, I thought I thought that also says a good thing, which I believe to be very true. Is there's not a lot of really great, you know, tailored clothes for for people that are big, right? I mean, most because like because you walk out and what she's wearing, it's just like from Rose Byrne, yeah, uh, whose character is like a stick thin bitch, right? Oh yeah, uh, and one of my favorite lines to uh, to Rose Byrne's character from from McCarthy is at the end when uh, she asks her she like t- like motions for her to slide the gun 
at her and she like barely pushes it. <laughs> it just goes <laughs> happening. It goes like a foot away from from her arms and and Melissa McCarthy like yells at her and goes, "Push that fucking push that fucking gun with your little bird arms." <laughs> and I think that's hilarious, yeah. right? So so there are ways that the movie is smart about using uh using and commenting on uh some of the some of the shit that normally just gets passed around as a joke in uh these movies particularly in, in hollywood particularly in movies like paul blart um that really like you can mine instances for comedy that mean something more than just like falling backwards into, into a coffee table glass door and fall over on my ass yeah you know was one of the few parts people laughed at in that movie though though they did see it in the trailer <laughs> Right. Well, so of course, sad. right? I mean, the other part that in Paul Blart that people laughed at was at the very fucking end when he gets kicked into the car by the horse, which was also in the trailer, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's, yeah. These are most the things the that we saw for free. <laughs> most of the laughs in Spy could never have been in the trailer. No. Not even an R-rated trailer, probably. Uh, just because of, like, how much of it there are. Uh, there is. Right? Like, just a constant stream of expletives. And like, I don't know that that would have necessarily conveyed context, which is why those things are funny. Yeah. And I'll say this for everybody out there. Uh, way past the credits. There's a nice little, uh, there's a nice little joinder there in the end. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, it's well, and the credits are interesting too, because it like uh, it details all of the missions she gets sent on and stuff. It's, it's, fun. yeah, there's something to look at. So it's not like you're going to be, you know, bored. But then there's a little funny little bit at the end, so enjoy. Uh, so, so yeah, two uh, pretty strong recommendations here for Spy. So yeah, you this could do, is a must see, man. You could do a lot worse. Let me tell you, kids, we've seen a lot worse. <laughs> no, it's a good time for sure. I've seen a lot worse in the past two weeks. Yeah, this much is true. Speaking of the next few weeks, boy oh boy, kids, is next week kicking it into gear. It has been a long time, and when I say a long time, I mean a long motherfucking time. We are finally getting a new Jurassic Park film. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I'm going to try to put my you know thoughts aside here. I'm excited. Uh, Jurassic Park still remains one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan of two, but that was one of the, th- this, that was one of the first books I ever read that really made me start hating to read books because the book completely ruined a good movie for me. It wasn't I, a good I movie. I like Lost World. I think it's a, a solid and a flick. I love the book so much. I was just like five seconds in. I'm like, you turned two kids into one and you made it his daughter. No, fuck this movie. And I was just done. <laughs> I was so done. I was like, that well, book think- was so good. But I think the book was written concurrent with the screenplay, right? So like, they no, they really didn't have a whole hell of a lot to do with each other. Not particularly. Yeah. No, um, there, there were a couple things, but not much. Um, but and, and and here's the thing too. I like, and we'll talk about it next week. I like Jurassic Park three a little bit more than most people. I don't hate that movie. I like it too. I, I think people shit like on that movie too much. I just, I just actually really like Lost World. I think it's it's good, and also. Uh, I hope to fucking God that there is an Ian Malcolm cameo like is rumored in this movie. I will lose my I'm gonna shit. To, I'm going to try to sneak in those those films. Because I, I, I just, I watched one, or most of one again when I was kind of setting up the home theater. I was just mm-hmm. like, we got to put this in here. Yeah, so, so that's the big one this coming week. I think opening up here as well in Atlanta, we're going to get me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Uh, the trailer looks the, good. I like. Well, I, and it was the big winner at Sundance this past year. Yeah, it look it looks good. I, I, I've seen the trailer many a time. It looks good. It probably I, I haven't kind of checked the schedule here, but my guess is it's probably here as well. Uh, so yeah, if that's out, definitely seeing that also. And can I tell you guys? I just uh, I just found out because the trailer came out this week. 
that we are getting a new Joe Dante flick on June 19th. I heard something about it, but I don't know anything. It's called Burying the X. I think that the trailer looks funny. It's got Anton Yelchin, Ashley Green, and uh, Alexandria Daddario. Okay. And uh, it looks pretty good. It's about a guy whose girlfriend dies and comes back as a zombie. Uh, And I think it looks good, and I love Joe Dante. As long as they play Monster Mash in it. I don't know why that just came to mind. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> play Monster Mash. Well, you know, I would not put that past uh, Dante. Sounds it's like just, a Dante thing. He might be able to do that. You never know. It's just cheesy enough that he might do it and it, and and pull it off because it fits with whatever the hell else he's doing. Did you see his last movie, The Hole? Uh, no. I think it's still on Netflix. You should check that out. It's it's uh, more in the vein of one of his kids' flicks. Um in that, you know, like, you know, Dante made small soldiers, which is fucking amazing. Right. Uh, but it is a kid's flick. Um, and uh, the whole is is like that as well, um, in that it's about kids. But it's about two kids who discover a hole in their basement and weird shit starts happening. And it's got fucking amazing, like, crazy stop motion bullshit and all this other stuff. It's pretty good. Hmm. And, and it's still on Netflix. You guys should check it out if it's still on there. Yeah. I think cool. it's still on there. Um, All right, so yeah, that's what we're doing next week. Until then, Matt, where can we find more of your work on the internet this week, sir? Uh, well, I'm just tweeting uh, tweeting away some days uh, at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith, and then uh, conspiracymediatheory.tumblr.com. Find me on there. Follow me. Uh, retumble some shit. I don't fucking know. Whatever you want. Tumbling, tumbling. Uh, and of course, you can also follow this uh, podcast at the Film Find at, uh, on on the tweets and Instagram. I don't really do much on Instagram because you have to sign out. I wish uh, Instagram. This is going out to you, assholes. Make it because I can like if I'm on Twitter, I can switch Twitter accounts super easy. I got to sign out. I got to put in the password in Instagram. Fucking make it more like Twitter, assholes. Uh, so follow me on that. <laughs> <laughs> And, of course, you can follow us on the Facebooks at Facebook.com slash The Film Find. We'd really appreciate that. And, of course, listen to my other podcast, Here Movie Podcast. This week we review uh, kind of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, we talk about the things that we kind of like and a lot of things we don't particularly like about that. So uh, check that out. And, of course, next week we're going to be talking about 300, a whole bunch of shirtless men screaming stuff. Oh, yeah, and if you guys uh, hate what they say about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, tweet at me. And you and I can talk shit about how they haven't been watching the show, and so it doesn't matter what they think. Hey, we we <laughs> here's the thing: we take full responsibility for that. We're the first people to say, "Look, by the way, this is not all inclusive." <laughs> I'm just saying, if you want to have a productive discussion about Agents of Shield, tweet at Matt underscore Boyd underscore Smith, yeah. and we can we can chat it out, sirs. Look, just tell Doctor Do to give us a five star review. That's all oh, we want. You know, so uh, I, we're all done now, but uh, yeah. here's here's the fucking thing I wanted to talk about, and I should have done it earlier because we were talking about uh, Jurassic World. Mm-hmm. So this whole fucking time, I've been thinking uh, about that director, right? His name uh, Colin uh, Trevorrow is how everybody has been saying. Okay. No, fucking Trevorrow. Which Termolo. I'm not. I'm not sure if that's real or if it's uh, just some pretentious thing that his family did or some pretentious thing that he did but uh trevorrow is is apparently how you pronounce that fucking name even though it's trevorrow your name's uh, uh, tremello you're the little Uh, so the thing the things you do 
uh, to to the words, people. Say them. Say them right. Say saying things order in uh, order is good. All right. So uh, <laughs> next week, Jurassic Park Lost World. So that or, or uh, whatever Travago. We're also going to talk about Doctor Travago. Doctor Travago. <laughs> Wasn't he? He's going to be in the new Planet of the Apes film, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> Dr. Trivago and he's going to look Good. like that homeless guy who looks like my friend Chris Layton <laughs> but, but after a couple of drinks <laughs> that sounds like a solid homeless guy which is often yeah, oh yeah Layton would be an amazing homeless guy <laughs> especially with all the money he's got fucking asshole anyways I love that guy uh, so that is it everybody join us next week back on schedule love it so uh, for Matt Smith I'm Adam Portress take it easy everybody from his slab began to rise and suddenly to my surprise he did the match he did the monster match the monster match it was a graveyard smash he did the match it caught on in a flash he did the match he did the monster match from my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast the ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the match. They did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They did the match. It caught on in a flash. They did the match. They did the monster match. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolf. Dracula and his son. The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the match. They played the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. They played the match. It got on in a flash. They played the match. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin, Rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax a part of the band And my Monster Mash is the hit of the land For you, the living, this mash was meant to When you get to my door, tell them what is sent Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash The Monster Mash And you my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on in a flash Then you can mash Then you can Monster Mash
shut up, lady. Fucking, that's it. <laughs> yeah, but what about those Spotify listeners, eh? Fuck those Spotify listeners. Fuck them in their faces. Fuck them. <laughs> mm. Hey, you didn't pay the $2 for this, you son of a bitch. We're going to give you 15 fucking ads. You piece of crap, you. So can I can I just tell you about a stupid fucking tweet that I just saw? All right, let's have it. So Scott Weinberg, movie critic. Mm-hmm. Familiar. Okay. He asks on Twitter, if the movie was guaranteed to be at least decent, what 1980s horror flick would you want to see remade? Guaranteed to be decent. Yeah, at least decent. At if least not, decent. If not spectacular, That's at least a good question. decent. That's a good okay. question. One of the responses he gets is a guy who says, an American werewolf in London. No. Hold on. This is the best part. He explains why he chose it. Better special effects and play up the comedy more. No. It could be fun. No. and <sighs> To which to which Weinberg responded, unfollow me forever. Yes. 100% <laughs> I agree. Responded, I question what movie this guy watched. Yeah, I mean, first of all, that movie is hilarious. And also those special effects are, are amazing. You don't win an Oscar <laughs> for putting out shit. Usually. Oh, also that guy blocked me for responding to the Scott Weinberg. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, it's such a good movie. Come on. Uh, The special effects are astounding. There is still, I will put it, 100%, and I, to this very day, post and, uh, you know, post, pre and post that movie, there has never, ever been a better werewolf uh, transformation, period. No. It just has not. You oh, have that's not awesome done it better. I got blocked by some rando for <laughs> fucking asshole. Like, what fucking movie did you watch? You fucking moron. <laughs> that's a good question. What would I mean? And you know, and and I think you and I both are m- mostly against remakes for the most part, because especially of good movies. For crying out loud, I always think you know, hey, we're gonna remake stuff. Remake shitty ones. Um, uh. I don't. Okay, okay. Hang with me, and it okay. Check this, and uh-huh. it and it only has to be just good. It doesn't even have to be great because that's what that's what his thing was. Is yeah. that it doesn't even have to be great. It just has to be good. It, it's close. It, it's it's in the wheelhouse. So maybe it's not exactly what was the. Did he specifically say eighties? Yeah, nineteen eighties. Okay, so it may go a little bit out of the house. I don't remember the date right off the top of my head, but it's in the. I put it in the wheelhouse of this. I'm going to go Weekend at Bernie's. I think that's more 90s, but nevertheless, it had a very 80s feel to it. That would, If it's at least it's, halfway it's decent. It's 1980s horror flick, though. Oh, horror. I was just yeah. going movies in general. Okay, so horror. Um, I, I didn't like the... I was speaking of Joe Dante, I didn't like The Howling. Because, oh, really? Because I, I like that movie. I mean, I, I don't hate it, but I think American Werewolf is such a better movie. It's just like, why, why do I need this when I have that? Well, it was earlier. It was before American Werewolf. Nevertheless, I'm just talking in pantheon of movies. It's like, why do I need this when I got that? I don't think they're doing the same thing, though. No, I, like, you, like, no I you're not wrong. The, whenever, I t- whenever I think of The Howling, I think of that fucking amazing flick, uh, Wolfen. Wolfen. You know that movie? Yeah, I know Wolfen. With, yeah, that movie's fucking awesome. And so I just think of like Howling and Wolfen as kind of this pre- uh, American Werewolf thing, and once American Werewolf hits, it's like a whole different fucking. Thing yeah, that's a, it's a it's a drop the mic on werewolf films, no doubt. Uh, here's here's uh, what I would maybe think about. Yeah. Um. 
I'm going to say something very controversial. Okay. I'm going to say scanners. I could no, I could see that. I mean, I'm a fan I mean, of scanners, I, I but like I can scanners a whole lot. I'm just saying, if if I could see one remade that's guaranteed to be at least decent, I think scanners has potential for a, for an updating. Yeah, no, I could see that. I could see that because it's it's very early 1980s, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not saying that the special effects are not good. I'm saying like it it could have different things on its mind. You know, and uh, so instead of like television, uh, do you want now? Are we remaking the movie of that time, or are we remaking that movie? And uh, that's a really good. That's another good question. Well, I think I think it could go either way, but you know, like Cronenberg already remade Videodrome. Yeah, I mean, he you know he made he re, he made Existence, which is Videodrome, but about video games. And yeah, I guess in a, yeah, I never really thought about it, but that's not. I mean, it's inaccurate. very very similar. It's dealing with all the same issues of reality and unreality, and what playing games does with your mind, in the same way that video does to your mind right i don't know why i never really put that together but you're right yeah it is yeah it's him 15 years later remaking video drum and doing a pretty good job of it oh yeah i I enjoy the hell out of existence i think it's good really good um it's tough i mean the 80s are the 80s are tough for (laughs) raging bull uh (laughs) (laughs) remake that just if it's at least halfway decent we're okay (laughs) you know what you know what I'd like to see? I mean, it is a thing that I really love, but if if you could make a really decent, like solidly good Toxic Avenger. There you go. That's a good answer. You know what I mean? That's I mean, I enjoy the hell out of that movie and its sequels and a lot of other trauma stuff, but if you could just make a really good, that's a good Toxic Avenger. That's a good answer, and I'd like to see what they would do. I mm-hmm. think that's a, I think that's a very good answer. Because that movie's like 1984 or five or something like that. But Sounds about right. Yeah, that would be the one. That's I would a that's a very that's a very good answer. Uh, I I don't know. It, it's tough because a lot of these things I don't want to see remade. You know. Well, I think you just have to go further down the spectrum. You know what else I wouldn't mind? And, I mean, because I know, you can like, you may I, not count it as that, but I mean, I, I mean, people saying how they're going to remake Gremlins or something. Don't do that. No, but you know what I wouldn't mind, and people will make the Gremlins argument about like, no, this movie's perfect how it is. Uh, and it's good, and I enjoy the hell out of it. But uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I'm already. I was already too frightened, so I'm. I'm just out as it is. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even. I, I'm just saying. I'd fucking watch a remake of that. Why not? Okay. Will it? Could it possibly suck? I guess. Except the question asked, it's guaranteed to be at least decent. Why would I not watch that? Well, I mean, they're in the process of doing it, but I think I think it. Are I mean, they? I, I thought it was stalled. No, no, you didn't. Fi- you didn't hear me finish. The- uh, oh, oh, well, oh, oh, th- yeah, they're stalled. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's stalled at the time, but you know, they're gonna find somebody. Yeah, I don't know. It's it- a, that's a tough question. The film find at gmail dot com. What do you think? Uh, send us your responses. You can be on our 15 minutes after show. Yeah. <laughs> the 15 minute <laughs> the 15 minutes after the other garbage that most uh, people probably don't listen to. But hey, somebody probably jammed a monster mash and then was just like, "Hey, what are these assholes still doing here?" <laughs> There's another 15 minutes on this garbage. Uh, well, you can edit that down a little bit. Nah, it's going to stay there. I'm too tired. Okay. <laughs> See you next week, guys. All right.